You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I'm going to read some verses from Isaiah and Romans, and then the most beautiful human being ever to grace this planet, my wife Jacqueline, is going to come and read the gospel. And for everyone who criticizes pastors who talk about how beautiful their wife is, shut up. Thank you. Seriously. All right. Isaiah 7, verses 10 to 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he, being Isaiah, said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, before choice is even operative in him, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And then Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. And now the gospel reading. Before I begin, I was, uh, I thought I was reading this ahead of time and I had turned to the wrong scripture. (laughs) And the scripture that I had turned to was about the reconciliation of relationships was in the New Testament. And uh, while we were worshiping today, I just felt like um, maybe this is just for one person or just a few, uh, that there's someone here who during this Christmas season has counted the relationships that they've had and realized that there's uh, at least one that has uh, been separated and you've been um, continuing to love this person, but you're... uh, your energy is growing weary. You are tired of it. And I just felt like uh, God wanted to say to you today that much like the disciples had uh, thrown their nets all night to catch fish and they caught nothing, but then they went back one more time when God told them to and there was an abundance. Uh, I felt like today that there's someone here who, if you just do one more loving gesture, that there will be something that germinates from it and that the Holy Spirit is going to work in that relationship and show you the great reconciliator. Um, The Trinity pulls you into the dance of love and he's going to pull that relationship into that dance. Um, So I wanted to encourage you, whoever it is for, do not give up. There is another loving gesture that you can do. Don't try something different, just continue to be loving one more time, and see what God does in it. Amen. 
reading from the Gospel of Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ is the proper response to the gospel of the Lord. Let's say that. Say, praise be to you, Lord Christ. We're in a series, and it ends today, called Awake the Dawn. And if somebody asks me what is one sentence that sums up Advent for you, it's this, that we will walk according to the light of the announcement that we most open our hearts to. We will walk according to the light of the announcement that we most open our hearts to. Salem, every day we hear announcements. We hear announcements from our children, from our spouse, from our family and friends, from the news. Every day we hear announcements. And every one of those announcements carries news with it. From the most mundane announcement, like, you know, I always joke with Doreen that Wappinger Central School District is closed because there might be a flurry at 4 p.m. Like, these are things... We walk by the light of these announcements. What I want for people of Salem Tabernacle is to walk by the light of the announcement that is the only announcement that makes its announcement to all the other announcements. The announcement that Christ has come and that he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead, those who are awake and those who are asleep. That announcement is good news despite what many of us may have learned growing up. And if you've been here for any length of time, you're starting to realize that we have a little bit of a different take on judgment. Judgment is not something that destroys. It's only that when we judge. Do you know anybody who's judgmental? Don't look at me. We destroy people with our judgment. Jesus heals with his judgment. His judgment makes all things right, including all things he made, which is also us. His judgment makes us right. That announcement has to speak to all the other announcements. You're going to have to have surgery again. You're going to be off your feet for another 40 days. You're going to miss the holidays, and they're not going to be the same. All these announcements, I'm just randomly picking some that may or may not have been spoken to me. And the announcement that Jesus has come will come again and shows up for us in all of these ways in between those two returns. That announcement has to train us to hear all the other announcements. Because the reality is this. We walk according to the light of an announcement, not according to the light of something that is finished. 
And most of us, I know, most of us, most of us are stressed because we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at our lives, we're looking at our church, we're looking at our jobs, we're looking at our parenting, we're looking at all these things, seeing it as if it was finished and judging it as if it was done. But like I said last week, the early rain has come, but the latter rain has not come yet. We need to walk by an announcement, not by a fulfillment. Nothing is fulfilled yet. Nothing is final yet. There's no period at the end of the sentence of anything that you're doing, good or bad, or that's happened to you, good or bad. There's still more to come. We walk by the light of an announcement, not by something that is finished. So never think that you're done. Never think that you're ended. Never think that it's over. Like Jacqueline just said, you could be one loving gesture away from revival. And that's not, that's not hype talk. That's truth. That's truth. So many of us have a story where everything was going wrong and God said one thing to us. And the lights came on. And we think that's the only time he said that. That's the only time we heard him. He talks more than me. He talks a lot. We walk by the light of the announcement. Nothing is done. And everything that seems horrible, when he finishes it, it will become what it was meant to be. Maybe through something glorious. Maybe through some sort of discipline or punishment. But at the end of it. Punishment, if you're a good parent, punishment is not meant to be punitive. It's meant to correct. Amen? Oh, come on, moms. I know. Punishment is meant to correct. Amen? My parents used to spank me while reading scriptures. When sometimes when the pastor says, let me hear you say amen, I'm like, I'm not talking in church. Don't you dare try to get me in trouble when I get home. Punishment is meant to correct. So imagine if God is perfect, won't his punishment be also? Won't it correct? Won't it make someone right? Yes. Yes, just in case you were wondering. So we've been talking about these Advent themes. There are contemporary themes of hope, peace, joy, and today, love. There are orthodox themes, death, judgment, heaven, and today, hell. And then Dietrich Bonhoeffer's four themes are waiting, mystery, redemption, and incarnation. And today, we will be talking about how the incarnation has asked love and hell to sit down with each other and become friends again. How Jesus is the one who can heal the relationship between love and hell. There's a parable in your Bible called the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man goes to hell, and Lazarus goes to heaven, and Lazarus wants to go to the rich man, and the rich man wants Lazarus to give him a drink. And in the parable, Abraham, everybody say Abraham. Abraham says, and besides there's a large gap between us here in heaven and you there in hell. Who could possibly cross that chasm? And Jesus tells this parable. Jesus is not the one who says who can cross this chasm. Jesus is the one who says that Abraham said 
who can cross this chasm. Because Abraham and the law and the prophets and the old covenant cannot cross that chasm. But the minute Jesus dies on the cross, the first place he goes is not to his disciples. The first place he goes is not to Caiaphas or Herod or Caesar. The first place he goes is to hell. And how many have been touched by God before? How many have been touched by God? How many know that when Jesus touches something, that thing is healed? Amen? We say in the waters of baptism that Jesus got baptized, not because he needed to repent, but because his body needed to touch the water so that the water could be cleansed so that when we get baptized, it does something to us. If all those things are true, if whatever the flesh of Jesus touches is healed, and we agree with this, amen, what happened to hell when Jesus touched it? What happened when he walked down there? If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could walk around in a human-made fire and be okay because one, like the Son of Man, is walking around it with them, how much more the hell that evil tried to start when the flesh of God goes down there? We're going to talk about it in a minute. That was what we call foreshadowing. In the Isaiah text, there's some, there's some messages that's like, I just know I don't have the vocabulary or the words to get across. So I'm just, let, let me pray for a minute. Let me pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bring healing to all of us today. Bring healing to the way that we pursue you, the way that we pursue each other, and bring healing to the way that we perceive that you pursue us. When we leave here today, Father God, I pray that we would all be able to look in the mirror and see that reflection and join you in saying, and it was good. And then we would be able to look at the next person we see and join you in saying, it is good. And look at the next issue, brokenness, evil that we see and join you in saying, it will be good when you're done with it. In your name. Amen. God offers King Ahaz a sign. He says, ask of me whatever you want. And this is key. He said, ask a sign that is as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. As high as heaven or as deep as hell. And Ahaz, whose name means, and you might want to write this down or remember or tell Siri to write it down for you or ask Alexa to do it for you, whatever your thing is, Ahaz's name means the one who grasps. The one who grasps. And I want to talk about how this is not a good thing. Ahaz, ask a sign of me. Make it as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. And Ahaz says, I'm, I'm not going to ask any signs of you. I don't know how to ask for something that's that high and that deep. I only know how to ask for things that I can grasp. I only know the kind of truth that is easy for me to hold on to and manipulate, to use, to be sure of. So he doesn't ask. So Isaiah says, fine, God will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and before he's even able to choose good or evil, the king in whom you dread will be gone. Okay? Well, a few years later, 
Ahaz had King Hezekiah. And within a couple of months of Hezekiah being born, the land had peace from its enemies. And so Hezekiah and Isaiah both assumed that that was the answer to the prophecy in the same way that if you read the text carefully, Eve thinks Cain is the Messiah. God says to Eve, your seed is going to destroy the one who did this to you. And as soon as she has Cain, she says, I have gotten another offspring from the Lord. She thinks that Cain is the one in the same way that Ahaz thought Hezekiah was the one. Because all we do is we think the things that we can grasp are the things that are the most true. If it's understandable, if I can define it, if I can answer it in three bullet points, then it is definitely true. And if I can't, then it's fanciful thinking. But we're about to talk about this one fact, that the truer something is, the less you can hold on to it and the more you can only dream about it. Watch what happens when Hezekiah grows up. 2 Kings 20. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, The word of the Lord, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. That's not good. Nothing shall be left. That's not good. And some of your own sons who will come from you whom you will father shall be taken away, and now they shall become eunuchs in the palace of King Babylon. That is very not good. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? At least there will be peace in my days. Please. The sign that God says to ask him for is a sign that's higher than heaven and deeper than death and hell. And we settle too quickly for signs that we can understand. We settle too quickly for verses that we can just quote. We settle too quickly for prophecies that are spoken over our life that are immediately answerable. In the club. <laughs> Jeff to my left. We settle C.S. Lewis said, we so often settle for making mud pies in the backyard when God wanted to give us a vacation at the beach. Our issue is not that we say no. Our issue is that we say yes too quickly. We're too easily satisfied. Ahaz grasps a truth that can be grasped, and it's not true enough. So here's the thing. When Jesus meets a man with a withered hand in the temple. The withered hand, the early church fathers say, represents somebody that cannot hold on to truth. And I think there's something to be said for this. But what I wrote down for this message was, I think some of us need to have our hand withered because we're holding on to things that we think are truth and it's not. We need to drop a few things. There's a very famous Bible curriculum. I will not say which one it is. You can do your homework if you'd like to. A very famous Bible curriculum that teaches you how to read the Bible. And what it does is it shows you a hand. And on that hand are five truths for reading the Bible. And every time I see that picture, I think they don't realize how messed up this is. 
because we treat the Bible like we treat a hand. We want to hold it, grasp it, and use it to wield how we want to. We want prophecies that we can hold on to, write down in a journal, and see whether or not they come true. Every prophecy spoken over you is so much truer than anything that happens next. It's deep as shale and high as heaven, and we settle for what we can understand. We believe doctrines if we can easily quote the scriptures. Let me tell you something. If you have a true doctrine, you should have a harder time explaining it to somebody than somebody whose doctrine is false. Because the truer it is, the more you need to be able to dream to see its truth. Because it's high as heaven and deep as Sheol. The Matthew text, speaking of thinking you're holding on to a truth that you're confident in, it says that Mary, and this is all going someplace, so everybody pay attention here. I'm just happy to see people and not a camera. I'm happy to be in this wonderful building and not in my home office that somebody said looks like an Italian restaurant. You get the curtains you want, I'll get the curtains I want, okay? You want to save money? Want a quick tip? Buy, decorate your home with what you like, not with what's in. Because if you like it, you'll keep it forever. If it's the style, they'll get you to buy a new one in six months. Just a quick money minute from Pastor Bill Dandriano right there. I like my red and white checkered curtains because in Christmas it's red and in the summertime it looks like a picnic blanket. Mary was found to be pregnant. That's what it says. She didn't say she was. She never told Joseph she was. She was found. Do you know why? Because it was so true that an explanation never would have worked. The truer something is, the less you can explain it, and the more you will go crazy trying to, not wondering why somebody doesn't get it. She was found to be with child because she couldn't tell him, the Holy Spirit put a baby in me. Doesn't work. Joseph, listen to me very carefully, rightly says she's been unfaithful. That's easy to grasp. We can't look at this with 2,000 years of preaching and act like we would have done anything different, guys. He was right. She's been unfaithful. How could he know anything other than that? So what does he do? He's a righteous man. And so he doesn't do what many Christians do and yell out loud her sin. He does what the baby in his wife's womb is already doing, and he covers her sin. He doesn't walk according to the law. He walks according to mercy and grace because he doesn't know that Jesus is already changing his heart. Dream with me about this. Get dreamy about it. Jesus, Joseph is already starting to act like Jesus because Jesus is already in his life. And he's saying, she cheated on me, but I'm going to put her away quietly. I'm not going to yell out loud what she did. I'm not going to have a guest minister come and say into a microphone everything she did wrong. I'm going to do this so that she's not shamed and she's not disgraced. Is that a good thing? It's a very good thing. Was he righteous? 
Yes. Was he just? Yes. Was he wrong? Yes. She didn't cheat on him. See, we got to get a new category. This story is telling us you can be righteous and you can be just and you can be wrong because righteousness and justice is not a matter of getting it right or wrong. It's a matter of faith. And what else could Joseph have known? He was doing the best he could with the information he had. And you know what he does next? Buckle up, kids. You know what he does next? He goes to sleep. Who could fall asleep? Listen, he resolved to divorce her quietly. And then he rested. Every one of us. Even when we make a decision that we know we are right about. Go to sleep before you act on it. Rest before you act. You can make the decision, but rest before you act on that decision. Because God does not interrupt Joseph in his resolve to divorce her. He lets him get to the point where he's going to divorce Mary. He waits until Joseph is resolved, and then he tells him something. God wants to treat us, he wants to move us from children to adults. He will let you get ready to make a really bad choice for a really good reason before he interrupts it. It's a line that has changed my life as a man. He resolved to divorce her quietly, and then it says, and as he considered these things... So he saw the evidence. He made the choice. He was able to grasp the truth that Mary has cheated on me. And then after all of that reasoning and facts and evidence, after he's resolved, he then considers the decision he's about to make. A novel idea. But I think even my parents said, think before you act. And I just realized they were right. It turns out nobody would be saved if Joseph didn't listen to the advice of Frank and Ginger Dandriano. How does Joseph hear the truth? He falls asleep and has a dream. Because the truest things can only be understood when you dream. The part of our conscious brain that remains awake when we're awake is too small to understand the truth of God. We have to dream. That's why Jesus says, become like children. You can't get into kingdom of heaven because you wouldn't recognize it if you walked by it with an adult brain. Only a child can understand what the kingdom of heaven looks like because only a child can dream. So many of us, because of trauma, because of our mistakes, because of our sins, because of life, because we've seen things, because of experience itself, not our experiences, because of experience itself, we have lost our dreaminess when it comes to the things of God. And so we hold on to little tiny nuggets of truth, little principles that we can hold on to and use. But God is not usable, Salem. He's so much bigger than that. And his promise and his announcement is not, it's simple, but it's extremely complex. And it can only be understood in a dreamy way. Christ has died. Christ is risen. 
Christ will come again. Is that simple to say? But we can only dream if we want to understand what that means. Christ has died. I know what that means. He died on Good Friday. Okay, did God die? Did God cease to exist? Well, no. So then he didn't die. Let me go do research. Let me go watch YouTube. It's simple. Say it again. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Is he omnipresent? Is he everywhere? Then how's he going to come? If he's here already, how is he going to return? Is it simple? Yes. Is it complex? You can only dream to understand what it means. He sleeps. Some of us in this room, we've done everything but try and rest to figure out the answer to some of our problems. We do, 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 do. Work, work, work. Think, think, think. Overthink, overthink, overthink. But we don't shut it off and rest and let the melody of complication and rest begin to unwind some of our most complex issues we're having. Some of us have bought into the idea that we have to understand it to solve it. And that's what the enemy wants. Because he knows that when we rest, dreams unlock so many answers. Because something that can be explained with a few verses or a sentence is not true enough. Joseph had to fall asleep to know the truth about his wife. And think about this. I left this preparation saying, I want to be more like St. Joseph than I do St. Paul. Because St. Paul, he also was persecuting Christians for all the right reasons. Everything the Jewish Christians were doing was against, it was a violation of the Torah. He was rightly persecuting them. We can read it in hindsight and say he wasn't. But in the moment, he had no paradigm, no category to think that a man hung from a tree wasn't a curse because his Bible said, if you're hung from a tree, then it's a curse. And all these people are worshiping a curse. They're worshiping a man hung from a... So he's rightfully telling them to stop. Until Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And then he needs to get knocked off his horse. And then he needs to go blind for three days. And then he has to have somebody pray for him so that scales fall off of his eyes. And then he needs to reread everything he's ever known for two or three years before he starts preaching. Joseph had to go to sleep. I pray for the softness, in my opinion, to not need to get knocked down. But I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. I don't want to have to go blind. I want to be able to go (laughs) to bed. Amen. And have the Lord reveal something to the softness of the way that I hold my opinions. And Salem, I'm telling you right now, I don't hold my opinions softly enough. This is something you want to, what is God trying to teach me in the middle of Advent candle toes? I'll tell you. He, right now, the thing that he's working with me on is to have my opinions and be bold about them, but have them be soft to his touch. Have him be able to gently nudge me in a different direction. Reform that clay 
a little bit more, to remain soft before him. Joseph was soft. St. Paul was rock, was rock solid before him and needed to be more dealt with. And some, sometimes that's how it's going to have to happen. But wouldn't it be nice to say, Lord, I've resolved to do this. This is what I believe. This is the way I see it. But now I'm going to rest in you for three days before I make a decision. And just have the Holy Spirit be able to come in and slowly show us something more true than we could have ever studied. Or not, just me. Cool. Adam went to sleep, and when he woke up, he didn't take care of his wife. Joseph went to sleep, ready to not take care of his wife. And when he woke up, he took care of her. When Joseph woke up, he submitted to what God was doing in his wife. So, what does this have to do with love and hell? Everything. You need to dream to understand the relationship that Christ has with hell. In the Romans text, Paul says he was descended from David. Well, that's graspable. Everybody can understand that. He was descended from David. We can see it in a lineage. We can see it in a genealogy. It's obvious. But then he says, and declared to be the Son of God, higher than heaven, through the resurrection of the dead, lower than Sheol. Do you see this? He's descended from David. You get that. But he was also declared to be the Son of God, higher than heaven, by being raised from the dead, deeper than Sheol. How many know the story of the Tower of Babel? They were trying to make a tower whose height reached the heavens. You know why God thwarted the tower? Because they couldn't make it high enough and because it wasn't deep enough. We focus on the fact that, oh, he took the, temple, he took the Tower of Babel down because it was going to be too high. I think he stopped it because they were thinking that good things are things that are high. But Jesus is saying good things are things that go deeper than hell. And you're not building that tower deep enough. You're not building it deep enough. As soon as as John the Baptist, and I'm closing with this. You're lucky my foot hurts. Enjoy this time. I'm saying all of what I said to say this. When John the Baptist was in prison, I preached on it last week from the Italian restaurant. When John the Baptist was in prison, he said to Jesus, he sent his disciples to say, are you the one or should we look for another? And there are the, uh, there's the obvious interpretation of that, which I preached on last week. We sometimes are in a situation where we're stuck, and we need to know that God's going to assure us that he's still part of our life. Amen? But listen to this verse from Isaiah, because this is the verse that Jesus quotes to John. Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of the prisons from the dungeon and from the prison those who sit in darkness. So the disciples come back and say, the good news has been preached to those who are in prison. Now, interesting, because a different interpretation of why John asked that question, are you the one or should we look for another, 
is this, that John knew that he was supposed to come to the earth and say, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world is coming. And then the lamb came. It's possible that what John was saying in prison was, if you're really the one who is to come, when I die and go to death, can I proclaim that you're coming there too? Can I say it again? When I go down into Hades, after Herod lops my head off, when I go down there, can I say, repent, because he's coming here too? And once again, what does Jesus do? First place he goes is he lets his physical body touch the flames of hell. And what does he do? He doesn't just convert the ones who are there. This is what Stephanie was saying before. He doesn't just convert the ones who are there. He converts the use of hell the same way he converts the use of death. Death was a thing that ended you. Now it's the passageway into the rest of your eternity. Hell used to be a place that tortured you. And now it's a place that will refine you and bring justice. Our God is a consuming. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We sing a song. His blood reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows where? I love that song. But it's better than that. Because his, love, his blood reaches higher than the highest mountain. And it flows way lower. Way lower than the lowest valley. Here's what God has for us, Salem. And I am challenging you today. But here's what God has for us. We obey a God who descends into our hell. Close your eyes for a moment. So many of us are consumed with hell when you die, and yet so many of us are standing in it right now. So much of the world is already there. He descends into your hell, and he touches it with his physical body, and he converts the use of what you're going through. Romans chapter 5. Suffering produces patience, endurance, all of these things. But it says suffering produces. Until Jesus, suffering didn't produce anything. It destroyed production. Suffering ended things. It didn't produce things. But now that Jesus has descended into your hell, into my hell, into all of hell, now suffering does something different than it used to. Suffering got saved. And now it no longer destroys, but like Stephanie said, its use is converted, and now you leave it feeling stronger. You leave it feeling more able. Jacob needed to fight Esau, and what did God do? I, this is a little personal. He hurt Jacob so that all he could do was limp. And when Jacob was limping, he was then ready to face Esau because he was weaker and therefore way stronger because God has converted the use of ailments, of trial, of tribulation, of fire. Don't tell your children this, but he's converted the use of fire. 
it now refines. It's now a crucible. It's now something that when you're there, it hurts, but it hurts the hurt off of you. It destroys the things that are destroying your walk with the Lord. He descends into our hell and he sends us into the hell of others. God, the Christian God, is not a God who stands all the way over here and says, Victoria, come to me. I'll stay here and I'll bless you once you get here. He calls to you and says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But if you can't, where does he go? To you. He calls a hundred sheep and says, come to me, I'm your good shepherd. But if one doesn't come, where does he go? He calls to you, but when you can't make it, he goes to you. And you're walking toward him and his walking toward you hurts sometimes because we see in us what's wrong. When his light shines on our darkness, it stings because men love darkness rather than light. But when he shines on it, it hurts like hell. But as it hurts, it's healed. And you become yourself again. He descends into our hell. He sends us into the hell of others. God doesn't want you just calling to people to come to church. He wants you going into their life, feeling what they're feeling, being in their storm, feeling the wind and rain of their storm because your presence is now his presence because you're part of the body of Christ. And so when you show up in somebody else's hell, it's Holy Saturday all over again, Salem. It's you walking into Hades and saying, a light is coming. We don't help anybody if we don't get into their life and make them feel safe with us in their life not judged, not uncomfortable, but safe. Your rod and your staff, they they scare the hell out of me. Out of me. Never to be in me again. That's comfort. Can I tell them that you're going to come down here too? Tell them I'll be there in a minute. I'm coming. And I'm not going to set the captives free. I'm going to lead captivity captive. I'm going to end the bars. I'm going to end the gates. Her gates will never be shut. dream. Don't just say, Pastor, there's a verse that says. Read all the verses and then dream about what they're saying together. Not what they're saying in one sentence, but read what they're all saying together. I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. I'm everything in between. I'm in heaven. I'm on the earth and I'm in hell. What does David say? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. And then what does he say? If I what? Make my bed. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, you're in this situation because you made your bed. That's why you're there. If David says, if I make my bed, if I choose 
to go to hell, if I choose to do the things that get me there, I can't turn around without you still being there. What if it's good news, Salem? What if it's actually good news? Well, pastor, everyone's going to live however they want. If this is true, will they though? If my wife says to me, I will never leave you no matter what you do, does that mean I'm like, oh yes, Vegas, like, you got to be a crazy person to think that that's true. It's the love of God that brings everybody to repentance. His kindness is meant to lead to repentance. His patience is meant to lead to repentance. When you don't stop loving somebody all the way into the end, you will affect their life forever and then even forever after that. This is what he does. All right. I needed to get that out. Sitting down for 40 days like the flood. Close your eyes. I'm sorry I made you stand for so long, but I've been sitting for a long time, so. Holy Spirit, this is crazy. It's crazy. Help us to want to love like you love, because I don't want to love like this. Because I think people will just get over on me. I think people will just take advantage of me. I think people will like it for the wrong reasons. But somehow you, all this time, have remained patient. Your word even says that we shouldn't count slowness as some do, but you're being patient with your return so that every knee would bow in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and say Jesus Christ is Lord. So help us to have a drop of this patience in our own life, for ourselves primarily. Help us to be patient with ourselves, the kind of patience that says, you're getting there, you're doing well, you have more to learn, but you will. And help us to have that kind of patience with others. Help us to know that as long as time exists, you're being patient. Time is your patience. The hours and minutes and months and years, new moons and Sabbath, seed time and harvest, all of this is your patience saying, I'm going to wait you out. I'll wait as long as it takes. I will go where I have to go. I will find you. And if you won't come with me, like the good shepherd who found the one, I will put you on my shoulders and bring you anyway. Like any good parent would. Jesus, let this, over this Christmas season, as we head toward Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, give us that childlike wonder that your love really actually is unconditional. That love and hell finally relate to each other again that the fire doesn't torture, it heals. It bakes bread. It makes all things new. On the night you were betrayed, you waited until Satan entered Judas, and then with Satan in Judas, you handed him bread. <laughs> you fed him 
with the evil one in him to remind him that even that doesn't separate. You said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. The old covenant could never get you there. But my blood reaches higher than the highest mountain and it flows lower than the deepest valley. So Lord, wherever we are today, this meal is your body saying, I will go to every place to get you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and descend on us also. Forgive us of our sins. Anoint us for the task of the ministry that we have this week to bring glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we love our neighbor as ourselves, And open us up to dreaminess. Open us up to truth that is so true we can only fantasize about it truth that goes so far beyond what we think. Maybe, God, a truth that is beyond what we could ask or think. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Salem, I've missed you all so much. I'm not going to ask the elders to come forward. I want to do it myself this time. But I'm going to ask, Kerry, if you could go into that pulpit right there. And if you could just hand me that little bag that's opened of there should be some bread in there. Yes, is it? There's more people here than I expected because I don't have any faith. Loaves and fish, whatever you want to call it. Salem, the worship team's going to perform. As soon as I come down here, come to the front, receive, and then be salt and light as you leave. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.